very good. I'll be honest, how many were tapping your feet on that one? Hey, I love that song. Let all the people say amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to say amen in this place. We want to thank you, Lord, for having an everlasting love for each and every one of us. Lord, you are a good God, a wonderful God, a saving God. And we want to be excited in you today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For you that may not know, my name is David Blackburn. I'm the oldest pastor on staff. I would bow, but I couldn't get back up. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend, which is traditionally uh, the kickoff to summer activities. And I have some good memories of one of those summer activities. It's fishing. You know, I haven't fished in quite some time. I've never fished in the pond. And I like to fish, though, but I'll tell you a secret. I like to fish when I'm catching fish. So I guess I'm not a really good fisherman. Anyone here like to fish? Anybody like to fish? You know, I've talked to some of you about fishing, and I do know that we have some fishermen in this place. But none of your stories equal this story. You see, for nearly 30 years during fishing season, Kent and his two buddies went fishing every Saturday. One morning, they're fishing in their favorite lake near a county highway. And a funeral procession drives by, and Kent puts down the fishing rod. He stands up in the boat, even though he knows you're not supposed to do that. He takes off his hat, and he holds it over his heart. And there was a long line of cars headed to the cemetery, and Kent stood there for five minutes. When the last car went by, he put his hat on, sat down, and he resumed fishing. Now, his buddies were surprised by his actions, and and one spoke up and said, you know, that was a very respectful thing that you did. And he said, you know, that seems like the best I could do, seeing I've been married to her for 25 years. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've got a feeling that Kent had his priorities messed up. Now, the fishermen at Faith Fellowship that I know of are smart fishermen and not like two other guys. You know, they were about as bright as Jim Carrey and uh, Jeff Daniels in Dumb and Dumber, your favorite movie, I know. So they went to Wren Lake in southern Illinois, and they rented a boat from the marina there, and they rented some fishing tackle. And they were amazed uh, when they caught their limit in just two hours. When they got back to the marina, one of the guys said to the other, he said, I hope you remember where we caught all those fish. And the guy said, "Uh, you know, sure I do. I made an X on the side of the boat to mark the spot. (laughs) The other guy said, you idiot. How do you know we'll get the same boat next time? (laughs) You know, David Letterman retired this week, but I don't think they're going to call me as a stand-in That's enough with the fishing jokes this morning. Today we're going to look at a very familiar Bible story where a fish caught a man. You know what story that is? Any Bible scholars out here? The story of Jonah is a story about grace. 
I don't know about you, but grace amazes me in what it offers. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. Grace is given to those who don't deserve it, who barely recognize it, and hardly appreciate it. This is what God said about himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The great news for all of us here this morning is that God is a God of grace, a God of love, and a God of faithfulness. I believe that we know what God's grace means. Our problem seems to come in the application. We have to accept two things. Number one, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And number two, if God doesn't save us, we'll never be saved. Contrary to what you may have been taught or what you believe, you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. We need a Savior. And thankfully, a Savior has come by the name of Jesus Christ. And can all the people say amen? Nothing more clearly summarizes the true meaning of grace than this verse right here. Read it with me. Salvation comes from the Lord. No other source. Now we should clarify one point about Jonah and his story. He's not the hero of the story. God's the hero. At the beginning of the story... Jonah is running from what God wants him to do. And at the end of the story, Jonah's arguing and questioning God's grace. In spite of all that, God doesn't give up on Jonah. Not when he disobeys and runs away. And not when he returns and pouts over God's grace-filled actions toward a city and all of its people. Whether we admit it or not, I believe there's a little Jonah in most of us. And that's why we need God's grace working in and through our lives every day. So the story begins this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. It's unbelievable how just a few words can change your life. You can get one phone call, you can get an email that changes your life forever. If it's good news, your life changes one way. If it's bad news, your life changes forever in another way. Either way, our lives can change dramatically with just a few words. 
You know what I'm talking about. That's what happened to Jonah when God said, go to Nineveh. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against its sin and its wickedness. The message Jonah was to deliver, to deliver wasn't some soothing, comforting message for people. That, you know, something like, well, you know, God sees you folks, and God understands all your sin, and, and wink, wink, God understands your wickedness, and He's okay with it because He really realizes that's all you know what to do. That's not the message that God gave Jonah. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and give a message of judgment for their sins in order that the people might repent and they might turn to God and be saved. The God of love and grace wanted the Ninevites to know that the time for judgment had come. God, in His mercy, wanted to give them an opportunity to repent and get right with Him. Nineveh was a great city, both in its size and its power. It was probably the largest city in the world at this time with a population of 100,000 people. It was the capital of Assyria which was the most powerful empire in the world. And when God said Nineveh was wicked, he wasn't kidding. The Assyrians had a reputation for cruelty that is hard for us to fathom. They were the ISIS, or the Boko Haram of their day. And when their enemies, their armies, excuse me, captured a city or a country unspeakable atrocities would occur. The Assyrians had no use for the Jews, and the Jews despised the Assyrians for their bloodthirsty cruelty and their idolatry of false gods. For a Jewish man like Jonah to be told by God to go preach to Nineveh would be very repugnant. As far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh could go straight to hell. And the sooner, the better. You see, going to Nineveh was going to put Jonah way, way, way outside of his comfort zone. Question. Has there ever been a Nineveh in your life? You see, Nineveh is whatever puts you out of your comfort zone. Nineveh is the place that God calls you where you don't want to go. Nineveh is the thing God calls you to do that you don't want to do. Nineveh is whatever or whoever you despise, but God loves So what do you do when God says, go to Nineveh? You and I need to think about it and pray about it. Because sooner or later, everyone in here is going to have God say to you, 
go to Nineveh. When God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it, we might expect the next thing that was done was Jonah packed his bags obediently and he set off to Nineveh. But that's not what happened. You know the story. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. It helps to know a little geography about right now. Nineveh was nearly 600 miles to the northeast of where Jonah was located in Israel. It was on the banks of the Tigris River in what would be known as modern-day Iraq. In fact, archaeologists have found the ruins of ancient Nineveh near the city of Mosul. Tarshish, on the other hand, was almost 2,500 miles west of Jonah in Spain. So we've got this gap, almost as far as New York to California, a 3,000-mile gap between where God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah's desire to go as far away in Tarshish. The verse here says, Jonah went down to Joppa. And that's true two ways, this down thought. First of all, to get to Joppa, Jonah had to go down physically from the hill country in Israel, where he was located, to the Mediterranean seacoast port city, which is known as modern-day Jaffa. Secondly, by going to Joppa, Jonah was going to go down spiritually. And if you look at the action in verse chapter 1, excuse me, you can see that Jonah had a down experience four times. He went down to Joppa, here in verse 3. He went down below deck in the ship, in verse 5. He went down into the raging sea, in verse 15. And he went down inside the stomach of the great fish, in verse 17. These aren't just coincidences. It's what happens when we disobey God's call to action in our lives. Anytime we run from God and what He wants us to do, we never go up spiritually. We always go down spiritually. Why did Jonah run from God and go down? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he had a lack of grace in his heart for the city and all of its people. He didn't think his God should have any grace for Nineveh either. Jonah didn't want these people to have an opportunity to repent and get right with God and be saved. It was perfectly fine with Jonah if God condemned them to a lost eternity. In fact, I believe that's what Jonah wanted. Jonah's problem was never about Nineveh. Jonah's problem was with God. 
Jonah had a grace deficiency, just as many followers of Christ have today. Jonah knew the Ninevites couldn't save themselves, and unless God saved them, they were doomed. Jonah knew they needed God's grace, but that's exactly what Jonah didn't want them to have. So Jonah concocts this plan, and he runs from the God of grace, and he heads for Joppa, where he just so happens to find a ship going as far west in the opposite direction as he could go at that time. And really, what are the odds of that happening? Because, you know, this predates Carnival Cruise Lines. And it's not likely there was a ship leaving for Tarshish every day. But when you and I decide to disobey God, there's always a ship going to Tarshish, ready to take us in the opposite direction to where God wants us to go. When we decide to try and run from God, Satan is always happy and eager to provide the transportation for us, whether it's by land, air, or sea. And as we look at this story, a question in my mind naturally arises. How far will the God of grace let you and me go in our own disobedience and sin. Let me repeat that. How far will the God of grace let you and me go in our own disobedience and sin? I don't know. Only God knows. But it appears that sometimes He will let us go pretty far. You may remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The Bible says that after he had gone far away from home and spent all of his inheritance, that's when he began to be in need. And it's only after he had a sense of need in his life that he made a change in his life. Luke chapter 15 verse 17 says, He came to his senses. We need to be aware that God doesn't always stop us quickly in our disobedience and sin. And sometimes it takes years for people to come to their senses. How far will God let you and me go in our disobedience and in our sin? He might let us go a lot farther than we really want to go. And we might end up somewhere we never wanted to be. It may not be down inside the stomach of a great fish. It may not be out in the fields eating the pig's food like the prodigal son was doing. But maybe we'll end up in divorce court. Or we'll end up trying to find a lawyer for our son 
who's run afoul of the law. Or maybe we'll be facing surgery because of some bad lifestyle habits. Why doesn't God stop us sooner? Why doesn't God spare us the consequences of our disobedience and sin? You see, God could have arranged it that the ship sailed for Tarshish the day before Jonah arrived in Joppa. God could have arranged it so the ship to Tarshish had no more room for passengers. But God didn't do that. Sometimes God's judgment is simply that he lets us go on and on and on in our sin so that we have to face the consequences down the line of our own disobedience now. So how far will God let us go? I don't know the answer. But this is what I do know. None of us here in this room today should want to find out for ourselves how far God will let us go. As we consider the beginning of Jonah's story, we should remember that, yes, we can run from God, but we can never hide. God was with Jonah every step of the way. And though Jonah tried to flee from the presence of God, God never left him. To Jonah, it looks like he's gotten away with his disobedience. He's run from God's plan for him, and he's now on a ship heading as far away from Nineveh as possible. You know, wow. He's a happy man because his plan, rather than God's plan, seems to have worked to perfection. So to celebrate, he does what a lot of you guys do on Sunday afternoon. He takes a nap. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. What you may forget in the story is that while Jonah is down below snoozing, there's a perfect storm raging outside that threatens to sink the ship and take all the lives with it. Jonah thinks he's outwitted God. I mean, no, you can't do that. But God isn't through with Jonah yet. God's just getting started. And we could write this verse into the story of Jonah about now, written by the wisest man outside of Christ who ever lived, Solomon. Solomon said, there is a way that seems right to a man, read it with me, but in the end, it leads to death. Very sobering verse. It smacks me upside the head every time I read it. The Bible says the ship captain and all the other sailors on the ship began to cry out to their own gods for help in this storm. And then the captain went below deck 
And he confronted Jonah, his passenger, and he told him to call on his God to see if he might save them. It's at that time Jonah confessed that he was running from what the one true God wanted him to do. And the only way the ship and all the lives could be saved was for the sailors to throw him into the sea. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. As soon as Jonah hit the water, the storm stopped, the sea became calm. Sailors were okay, but for Jonah, his troubles had just begun. You know, he must have looked like a a tasty little snack to, to a huge fish. The Bible never says a whale. Some great fish just happened to be swimming by, and here comes Jonah. Yum, yum. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You ever wonder, what do you do with your time when you're inside a fish's stomach? I know you you sit up at night thinking about what's going to happen if that transpires in your life. No lights down there, so you can't play solitaire, right? But you don't need lights to do what Jonah did. He prayed. And would you believe it, God caused the fish to vomit. Try it with me. Pretty good. So the fish gets vomited onto dry land. Not the fish, Jonah does. So for all of you that have been worried about this, now you know what to do if you're ever swallowed by a great fish. You pray. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God, in his mercy and his grace, gave Jonah a second opportunity to do what he should have done the first time. Go to Nineveh and give the people God's message. Jonah didn't blow it this time. You'd think he'd get it right, wouldn't you? Yeah. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Archaeologists speculate that Nineveh was laid out in such a way, it was about 60 miles around the perimeter of the city, a large city. This would require three days to walk around it with stops along the way to preach God's message. And what was that message? Jonah had just a few words to deliver to the people of Nineveh. A 15-second sermon. You say, yeah, but you've exceeded that by a long shot today. Give me a break. I'm the oldest guy here. Here's the sermon. He proclaimed, and this this section is a sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now I want you to repeat the sermon with me. You're going to preach a sermon today, okay? 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. A few words of warning of judgment by God had remarkable results. A few words changed forever the lives of thousands of people. The Bible says the people of Nineveh believed God. This wasn't just some jailhouse conversion. God knew they were sincere because we read this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. An unbelievable revival had come to Nineveh at the hands of one of the most reluctant missionaries of all times. And I believe the Ninevites were saying the same thing the band played earlier. I believe they were rejoicing and shouting and they were glad and they were saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love never ends. Amen, brother and sister. Yes, let the people say amen. A whole city was spared God's destruction. And they were excited about it. And this shows the power of God and His message that an entire city of people, thousands upon thousands, would repent and turn to God with just a few words spoken by Jonah. God's heart of grace won out again. And sadly, we can't say as much for Jonah because he was angry, upset, that repentance and salvation had come to the people that he despised. From the very beginning, Jonah had understood the gracious character of God just as Peter did thousands of years later when he wrote this in his day. Peter said, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, read it with me, but everyone to come to repentance. That includes you and me. That includes our city our families, our county, our country. God is patient, not wanting anyone to be condemned and lost forever, all to come to repentance. As I said earlier, Jonah isn't the hero of his own story. God is the hero. Why did this great repentance and turning to God take place? Not because of Jonah. How could this possibly happen in a city about the size of Springfield, Illinois? An ungodly place like Nineveh. How could it happen? It happened because of three words that we read earlier. When God saw. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion 
and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. We never know what God will do in people's lives and who he will draw to himself next. Nineveh was ready for repentance. They were ready for revival. But I don't believe the people even knew it. But God knew it. And he saw it. He saw their hearts. And he did something about it. He sent Jonah with a message. Your family members or your neighbors or your co-workers may be ready for their own repentance and revival. You're not aware of it. Maybe they're not aware of it. But God is aware of it because He sees their hearts. That's why we should keep praying for them. I've got unsaved family members I've prayed for for years. I'm not going to quit now. You keep praying for them. And you do what God asks you to do to reach them for Him. You invite them to church. You give them a Christian book. I don't know what you do. You do what God says for you to do. We never know who God will draw to himself next. But the God of grace knows. The story of Jonah shows us four things. Number one, every step out of the will of God is a downward step. No one ever disobeyed God and went up spiritually initially. You only go down. Number two, we can run and we can disobey God and we may get away quickly, but we recover slowly. It's very easy to go down and get off the right path. I know for own personal experience, very easy. It's the easiest thing in the world to fall into sin and to commit sin. But the way back out of our disobedience and sin is difficult at best and often very painful to us and those we love. Number three, Satan can work through circumstances just like God can. Satan has ships headed to Tarshish, and he always has room on those ships for one more. His ships always go where we want to go when we're running away from God. Satan can make disobedience look good to us by what seems to us favorable circumstances in our lives. As he got ready to take a nap, Jonah may have thought this to himself. You know, things are going pretty well for me about now. All this must be working out for me to go to Tarshish because, in fact, this is God's will for my life. Yeah, I got it. I finally got it. But if he thought that, he was wrong. We know... God had already made his will clear to Jonah. And you and I 
must beware of seemingly favorable circumstances in our lives that would trick us and entice us to disobey God. You see, I don't care how they look, those circumstances, how they look to me, how they line up for me, I must never let favorable circumstances override what God has clearly told me and said to me in the Bible about my life and what he wants me to do in a particular situation. Jonah knew what God's will was for him in regards to Nineveh. He knew, but he didn't want to do God's will. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And I have a feeling that some of us have been there and done that. Number four, in spite of our actions or our inactions, the God of grace will always be working on our behalf behind the scenes to get us where he wants us to go, where we're supposed to be, and he'll get us to do what we're supposed to do. You see, he did it for Jonah, a very reluctant man, and he'll do it for us. The Apostle Paul, whose life was one of obedience and surrender to God, wrote this. Read it with me, please. One, two, three. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Years before Paul came on the scene, God gave Jonah the task of testifying to his grace to the people of Nineveh. And here we see that the God of grace gave Paul a similar task to complete in his lifetime. Paul was to testify to the good news of the gospel of God's grace to all people. And I believe just like Jonah in the Old Testament, like Paul in the New Testament, God has given you and me the same task to do for Him in our lives. We're to testify of His grace in our lives. And we're to take that message of grace to other people. And so my challenge this morning is, let's choose, my brothers and sisters, to not be like Jonah and disobey God and run in the wrong direction from God wants us to do. But let's choose to be like the Apostle Paul and finish the race of life that God gives us, knowing that we completed the task that the Lord had for us, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace.
Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the truths that we find in the story of Jonah, the reluctant missionary, the man who thought he could outwit God, he could circumvent God's plans for his life. Thank you, Lord, that you resurrected him out of the stomach of that fish and that Jonah finally came to his senses like the prodigal son. And Jonah did what you asked him to do. And the consequences were hundreds of thousands of people not living forever in a lost eternity. Lord, help us in this place to be so filled full of your grace to overflowing that, Lord, we're willing to give out that grace and testify of that grace to all peoples. Maybe people we don't really like. Lord, we don't want to be deficient in grace in our hearts and in this place. Let faith fellowship be known as one of the churches in this community that's filled with grace to the overflowing for everyone. Those who come through our doors and those who never darken our doors. Lord, we thank you that you love us that your grace was so big that you could save me and redeem me. We love you today, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Song's going to come, the band's going to come back. They did a great job with this song by Matt Mayer, or Mar. And we're going to sing it. We're going to stand right now. We're going to sing it. We're going to clap our hands. We're going to stomp our feet. Let all the people say amen. And then after the song, if you need prayer, for any situation in your life, there'll be prayer teams on both sides. We're going to wait till after some because it's going to be loud. You don't want to come down. But let's get in this. God loves us today. The God of grace is here in our hearts and in our midst. So all the people are going to say what today?